are in Philippians chapter 4 uh, this evening, and we're going to pick it up in verse 8, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We're going to finish the book of Philippians uh, tonight, and then next week we're going to start the book of Colossians. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter. We estimate to be finished sometime in 2025. Hopefully I uh, pick up the pace here a little bit, but it's great to be able to read ahead. So we'll be in Colossians uh, chapter 1 next Wednesday night. Tonight we're going to talk about joy and contentment. I remember very distinctly, it was my eighth birthday, and my Aunt Carolyn and my Uncle Dave wrapped me up a birthday gift. And they're really like grandparents uh, to me on my mom's side. All my aunts and uncles uh, are a lot older than my mom. She was the youngest of five, and so Aunt Carolyn and Uncle Dave really invested a lot in me, and they did a great job with this gift. They took a bunch of newspaper and cut it up real small, and you had to dig through the box to find the dollar bills. So I was digging through, and one, dig some more, two, get up to eight, and I keep digging in the box, can't find anything more, stick my head out of the box, and I go, is that all? <laughs> Oh man, she just seen the look on my, my dad's face. She's like, uh, I think you need to go to the bedroom. We're going to have a, have a chat. But discontentment had really set in, in my heart as an eight-year-old. Here I was getting $8 for my birthday, but I thought it should have been 16 or I don't know what it should have been in my mind, but eight wasn't enough. How many times in our lives do we allow discontentment to set in in one way or another? So if you would read with me from verse 8 down to the end of the chapter, then we'll pray together and ask that the Lord would instruct us. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue... If there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the Lord of peace be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at last at your care, for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full and having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ. The brethren who are with me greet you. And all the saints greet you 
but especially those who are of the household, who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your presence in our lives. There's so many times where we are discontent with our circumstances, discontent with our provision, relationships, and we just ask that we could learn contentment. Holy Spirit, would you come and instruct us and teach us in a powerful way, in Jesus' name, amen. As this is the last study in the book of Philippians, let's hit a few highlights. What's the theme of the book of Philippians? It's joy. It's used over and over in this short epistle, rejoice, joy. It's directly tied to our thoughts and what we think. You'll also find a reference to the word mind over and over in this book. Go back to chapter 1, verse 21, and let's look at the foundation of our joy. It's Jesus, others, and then you. So chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's where we find our joy, when we can say, my life is Christ. I'm consumed in Christ. Right now it's the Olympics. We're inspired by these athletes as they've given their life to their sport and mastering their skill and for us to find our life in Christ and to die is gain. Chapter two, you remember to be others-centered, a mindset that's caring for the, the needs of others. In verse three and four of chapter two, it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. This is joyful living. This is the key to joyful living. Not being consumed with our own needs, but to care about other people's needs. If you go on in chapter 2, Christ, this mind was in Christ, left the glory of heaven, came in human flesh. God, in human flesh, humbled himself to the cross, crucified for us, and is then exalted as the name above every name. So he had that mind to come and serve and not be served. So Jesus, chapter one, others, chapter two, and then chapters three and four deal with you. It deals with me, where we're to put ourselves in that proper place. We come last in the equation. And if you look at verse 13, this was Paul's mindset. This is how he lived his life, chapter three. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to the things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. When it comes to the attitude towards ourselves, what's our thought towards ourselves is it always needs to be forward motion. I'm going to press forward and lay hold of those things for which Christ saved me. We spent great detail talking about, looking at, being challenged to make sure that we're not living in the rearview mirror. That we're not looking back. That's going to rob your joy. That's going to rob my, my joy every time. And then if you remember in our study last week in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Did you enjoy some peace this week? Did you have some opportunities to apply those verses to your heart and mind. We end with contentment. We end with learning contentment and that t tying into joy in the Lord. 
I want to backtrack a little bit to verses 8 and 9 because I believe it ties in with contentment. We covered them last week and we'll review them this week. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Contentment is tied to our thought life. And that's number one. There's going to be four things to chew on when it comes to contentment. And first is, if we're going to be content in the Lord, it is going to be directly in correlation to our thought life. Allow this to be a filter for your thoughts in this area of contentment. Is it true? Is it praiseworthy? Is it noble? Does it have any virtue? Because as soon as we start thinking thoughts like, man, I'm really discontent with my job. I really wish that I had that job over there. Or I'm really discontent with my spouse. It's really easy to compare our spouse with with others. Sometimes it's easy even to come up with an imaginary ideal of what our spouse should be. Amen? It's like the person that you're imagining doesn't even exist. It's someone that we've created in our in our own hearts, and our own minds. But it could be that you're sitting here tonight and you're completely dissatisfied with your spouse because of your thoughts. Because you've allowed your thoughts to, to go in a place that's not honoring to the Lord. Contentment goes, Lord, this is who you have provided for me. And so I'm thankful for it. For some of you, you may be single. And in that place, you found yourself to be discontent. And it has to do with an ideology that my life would be better if I were married. And so put all of your thought and your energy into being married. What always fascinates me in a room like this is there's some of you that are married that want to be single. And there's some of you that are single that want to be married. It's discontentment, isn't it? And it's our thoughts and how we, we think towards what the Lord has provided for us. It even slips into our thoughts with our own appearance. If I only looked like this, man, then, then I'd be happy. Then I would, would be, be content. If I only had this, then I would, would be content. So I think the foundation of living a life of, of contentment is to battle it out in our minds. To battle it out in our minds. When the enemy comes in and starts to plant those seeds of discontentment, when our own flesh tries to to take the bait of discontentment, to say, is that true? Is that praiseworthy? Is it, is it noble? Nope, that, that's not even true. Maybe discontentment has come in towards one of your children because you're comparing them to some ideal that doesn't exist or comparing them to, to some kid that you think has their act together a little bit better than, than your own kid. No, no, wait a second, that, that's not even true. I have to bring that into to right biblical thinking. Maybe discontentments come in towards church and the body of Christ and, and towards others. And before we even know it, we're thinking untrue, unbiblical thoughts towards others. So, so you can see how it's so important, our thought life, when it comes to contentment. When I am operating in discontentment, my thoughts have gone wild. Is that true for you as well? I haven't taken my thoughts captive. I haven't made sure that I'm meditating. That really stands out to me. Meditate on these things. 
What am I chewing on in, in my brain? Is it those things that are of virtue and are praiseworthy to the Lord? In verse 10, it says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Where's Paul in this letter? He's in prison. He has needs. The church sends a messenger with a gift to care for him. And Paul's saying, thank you. Thank you that you are caring for my needs. Apparently, they had cared for Paul earlier on in his missionary journeys, and now they're caring for him again. And he says, your care has flourished for for me again. It's not that you stopped caring, but it's that you lacked opportunity. And it's this whole discussion of Paul receiving a gift from the church of Philippi that brings up the topic of contentment. Verse 11 is worth underlining. It says, But not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Paul's saying, it's not because I need something. It's not because I needed this coat, or I needed this food, or I needed this money that, that you sent. Because I've learned contentment. So here's the second thing to consider, is contentment must be learned. Contentment must be learned. If you're wondering if contentment really does need to be learned, spend some time with a toddler. They are not born with contentment. They are not born with gratitude and satisfaction. Here's a toddler's rules when it comes to ownership and sharing. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. Number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Number three, if I can take it from you, it's mine. Number four, if I had it a little while ago, well, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. (laughs) Number six, if I'm doing or building something and all all of the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine... It's mine. If I saw it first, number eight, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine, doesn't it? If it's broken, well, it's yours. If it's broken, but you are having fun playing with the pieces, it's mine again. If there is any doubt, it is mine, number 12 good indicator that we are not born with a content nature, are we? So it has to be something that we learn. If you learn something, if you've mastered something, you've put time into it. You've put effort into it. It's become a goal, something that's moved you, something that has been important to you, especially if it's been more than an assignment that you just did the busy work, the homework to get, to get the grade. Some of you are probably in a profession where you have skill sets that you have to keep up on in order to do your job with excellence. And so you love your job. You love what you do. And so you're constantly studying to get better in that area, in in that field. If we want the benefits of being content, we have to go to the school of contentment. 
They have to say, this is something I've got to learn. This is something I've got to press into Christ with. It's not just going to come naturally. A lot of times I think when it comes to the godly attributes that we read in the scripture, we just think that somehow we're going to snap our fingers and wake up content. Or hear a Bible study and then all of a sudden be content. This is something that we have to put effort into in order to learn. It's interesting that Paul says that he had to learn contentment because Romans chapter 7 tells us that he tripped up in the area of covetousness. We already read earlier on in Philippians from the outward, he did really good at fulfilling the law. But it was the inward attitudes that got him, it was covetousness. So here he is wrestling in his own growth with the Lord and he says, I've got to learn this. That no matter what, no matter what state I'm in, I'm going to be content. So I would encourage you tonight to enroll in the school of contentment, if you haven't already. If you haven't already seen the benefits that come from being content. So that's the second thing we see about contentment. In verse 12, he says, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Wow. I guess he's been in the school of contentment for a while. So number three about contentment, contentment is two-sided. It's two-sided. If you think of a quarter, it is getting close to football season, and it's the kickoff. What do they do? They flip the coin, heads or tails, right? And contentment has heads and it has tails. And Paul says, I've learned how to abound and I've learned how to be full. A lot of times when God does bless in our lives and brings provision, there's a part of us that longs for just a little bit more, doesn't it? I mean, when is enough? When do you have enough? Many times our response would be, well, just a little bit more. And it's learning how to deal with difficulty, and it's learning how to deal with being abased, but also being a person that knows how to abound when God blesses to enter into the arms of your father and say, thank you. Thank you so much. And in fact, I don't need any more. This is more than I ever would have wanted, and it's more than I deserve. And the Bible has a lot of verses that talk about enjoying his blessings. In James 1, verse 17, it says that he's the father of lights. There's no variation, no shadow of turning, and every good and every perfect gift comes from him. So every good thing that we can think of in our lives comes from the Lord. That's abounding, and God wants us to enjoy it. The book of Ecclesiastes teaches this principle as well, that we should be able to enter into the blessings of the Lord. If God's given you health, has given you the ability to enjoy a good meal. He's provided those provisions for us. Instead of saying, well, I just have to have a little bit more, to say, this is enough, and I'm thankful for it, and I'm going to enjoy it. For his glory. Not just some kind of selfishness, but because God has provided it. He loves his children. He wants us to be able to enjoy it. I would bet that there's some of you, if not many of you, that you feel guilty when you're abounding. And you're going, I can't really enjoy this. How is it that that I should enjoy this roof that's over my head? How is it that I should enjoy these clothes that are on my back? 
this meal that, that I'm partaking in. In fact, it's my favorite meal. And it's so good. You feel a little bit guilty, don't you? Wrestling with your own sin. Wrestling with those that are without. It's not to the exclusion of those that don't have those things. It's not that we enjoy these things without caring for others, without having a heart to give, without giving to God our, our first fruits and whatever the Lord would have us, have us to give. But we've missed something in Scripture if we're failing to enjoy the blessings that God has given to us and the ability to be able to abound without saying, I just need a little bit more. It really creeps in, doesn't it? Maybe you're, you're pressing into your physical health and you're feeling healthy. But in the back of your mind, it's like, man, I just wish I was a little bit more healthy. I wish I could run a little bit farther or lift a little bit more weights or fill in the blank instead of being going, wow, I'm, so, I'm just so thankful. I'm, man, God, thank you so much that, that I'm able to, to do this. We were kind of working the, the home budget throughout the summer and setting some financial goals. And, and this is some things that we felt like the Lord was put, putting on our hearts. And as soon as we set those goals, all I could think about was getting there. They're financial goals. They're numbers. And I'm a number guy. So I'm like, okay, this, this is the number that we're trying to get to. You know, this would be a good amount of money to, to have into savings. I think it's a good goal. I think it's exactly what God has for our family. But it became this competition. And then instead of enjoying what God had provided in my mind, it's like, well, how quickly can I get here? <laughs> See how discontentment came in? It's so easy for that to, to happen in our, in our hearts and in our lives. It's a good question to wrestle with. Have you learned how to be full? Have you learned how to abound without longing for more and being able to enjoy what God has provided? But he also says that he's learned how to abase and be hungry. Contentment's such a great safeguard when it comes to joining the Lord. It's like, man, if the Lord blesses, I know how to enjoy that. But if I'm hungry, I know how to be content in that as well. Paul had times, we know from, from his writings, where he didn't have any food. He went without meals, not because he was fasting and praying, but because he didn't have any food. And he faced those moments, and he was content in the Lord. He didn't need anything else because he had the Lord. And I know some of you have experienced that as well. You went through tremendous times of difficulty on the financial level. And you were content in the Lord. You have that story of saying, man, God was enough in that season. I was abased. And remember that. You know, remember that time in your life when it was so tight financially, where you didn't know if you were going to make it through, and you're on your knees lifting up your finances to the Lord, but you're in a place of trusting the Lord, and you were content. You've learned that. So instead of the enemy coming to you and say, well, what if you lose your job? What if you lose your health? What if you can't work anymore? You go, that's in the Lord's hands. I know what it's like to be abased. I know what it's like to be going through a season of trial, and I'm content in either place that the Lord has me. This is so encouraging that God's presence is so strong that we can continue to have contentment even in the trial. 
Paul must have believed on a foundational level that there was purpose in being abased. Okay, Lord, you're glorified in the blessing. You're glorified in the provision. I want to worship you in the provision. But you're also glorified in the trial that you're bringing in my life. The trick when God blesses is to not get our eyes off of the Lord. God warned the children of Israel of that in Deuteronomy. When you get into the land and you get houses that you didn't build, trees that you didn't plant, don't forget me. Don't fall in love with the gifts instead of the giver. Allow the the gifts to draw you to the Lord. Also allow the trials to draw you to the Lord as well. Contentment is two-sided. It's heads and tails. It's when we abound. It's when we're abased and we suffer need as well. Probably a verse you know. Verse 13. Say it with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment number four is possible through Christ. Did you know that this verse primarily speaks to this wrestling with contentment? In context, when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's speaking about, I can be content when I'm abased, and I can be content when I am in a a place of abounding. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's the very presence of Christ that allows us to be content. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Let your lifestyle be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Another way to put this is don't ever allow your heart to be in a place where it cries out saying, I've got to have something else. Because Christ is with you. He'll never forsake you and he's more than enough. So let's go to that marriage situation. Maybe you're in a difficult marriage. It's not what you thought it would be. How can I be content in this place? Because Christ is with you and he's more than enough. Amen? Your contentment doesn't come from your spouse. It comes from the Lord. You're single. You desire to to be married. I get that. That's a good, godly desire. There's a part of you that's saying, how can you tell me to be content in my singleness? And this is the reason why. Because Christ is with you and he's more than enough. Amen? In that job situation, you feel like, man, I'm just stuck in a dead-end job. I look at others and They seem to be blessed and have a job that provides more and that they enjoy. How could I be content in this job that I have? Because Christ is with you and he is more than enough. Maybe you're in a place where you're abased because of physical pain and every day you wake up with chronic physical pain. You're like, how can I find contentment in the midst of this? Because Christ is with you. And he'll never leave you. And he'll never forsake you. I'm not saying that the circumstances are easy. Remember, where is Paul writing this? He's writing it in prison. It gets very difficult sometimes. I know those things are extremely difficult, but you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I was reading in my devotions this morning in the Gospel of John, the resurrection of Christ. Jesus seems to be making a point about his presence the disciples are in an upper room. 
lock themselves in because they're afraid. Jesus doesn't knock. He doesn't use the door. He just comes through the walls, says, peace be with you. He's wanting the disciples to come and understand, you may not always see me, but I'm here right now. How firm was the disciples' faith on the presence of Jesus Christ after that moment? Hey, you shouldn't say that. Jesus is right here, you know? Hey, let's talk to Jesus about that. he's, He's right here. We know this, we've read this, we share this with others, but Christ will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, if we're honest about that, that's really comforting, but it's also really terrifying. Because that means that Christ is with me when I'm losing it on the road, you know? That means that Christ is with me when I'm grumbling and complaining. Fill in the blank. Christ, he's always there. How much am I grieving the presence of Christ? Because he's, he's always there. Uh, what if we really got this? We really understood I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's going to strengthen me. He's going to empower me. It's his presence that is there with me. I don't want you to misunderstand contentment. Contentment is not that you would desire a closer, more godly marriage if your marriage is in a difficult place. You should continue to try to aspire for that. But neither is it a place of discontentment where we're defeated and we're grumbling and complaining. If the job is very, very difficult and it's a dead-end job, are you saying that, well, then contentment means that you can't go look for another job? No, not necessarily. But it's the attitude in which you go look for another job. Does that make sense? It's not out of desperation. I got to get out of here or I'm going to mess somebody up and end up in prison, right? It's, well, God, if you open the door, praise the Lord. But if you don't, I'm content to be here. I t- trust your sovereign hand. Contentment doesn't mean that we don't hunger after the Lord. Contentment doesn't mean that we don't desire more of him. We read in chapter 3 that we're to press forward always. And sometimes when I think we start talking about contentment, some people check out because they see it as a negative thing. Contentment really is satisfaction in the Lord, regardless of our circumstances. And it's possible through Christ and his presence that's with us. In 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes these words to Timothy in a discussion about money. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. This is what I've discovered in my life. If I cannot be content today, right now, with my circumstances, with the finances or lack of finances in my life, I never will be content. If I'm believing the lie, if I only get here, then I'll be content. I've missed the point altogether. When I come to accept this is where God has me, he's in the midst of this circumstance, I'm going to practice contentment. I'm going to learn contentment. That's when I begin to experience spiritual growth in my life. We talked a little bit about debt this weekend. If you missed the study, in the book of Habakkuk, what do you think fuels debt in our lives? Well, there's a lot of things that do. Sometimes life happens, and there's financial needs that we couldn't prepare ourselves for. And that, that's, that happens sometimes in our lives. But another thing that happens that fuels debt is discontentment, isn't it? Ah, oh, man, this couch is so wore out. Could either 
save up for a new couch and pray and wait for the Lord's provision, or I could go get one right now with a Visa card. Put it on the credit card. Did you see down there at Sofa Alley, Sofa Mart, they've got no interest for 60 months? I'll just go, that's kind of like a savings plan in and of itself, right? And And they go down there, and they're having a sale. And if I don't get it right now, I'm not going to get this price, and this couch may never come back. It may never return. They know what they're doing. They always change their inventory. They're even onto that at Costco. Like, there's something you really like, and then they don't carry it anymore. Why? Because you've got to buy it up while they have it, right? And so discontentment can, can really fuel our debt. And then a lot of times, if, if we're going to see God work in that area of debt in our lives, we have to deal with this issue of discontentment. Say, okay, Lord, I'm content. This is what you have provided for me. So, so much to learn and, and glean from in this area of contentment. Let's finish out the chapter. Verse 14, Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. He thank you for sending this gift to me. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, when he first started his missionary journeys, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Do you remember the primary way that Paul funded his missions work? Through being a tent maker. He'd go to these communities, he'd make tents, labor all day with his hands, preach the gospel in the evenings whenever he could. It's amazing to me in verse 15 that, you know, there was only the church of Philippi that shared with him at this point. And he's thanking the the church of Philippi that they would do this for him at the beginning of his ministry, and now he's also in prison as well. In verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul's saying, guys, I'm not about the money. I'm not about the gift. It seems to be what Paul's really emphasizing here. He's saying, I wanted you guys to give because of the fruit that would it bring in your life. Have you found that with giving in any fashion? Whether you give time or you serve with your talents and your, your energy, there's just a blessing in giving. There's fruit that comes in our lives through giving. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul is a spiritual father, and he knows that giving grows kids. We know that with our own children. It grows their character as they give. And so he's saying, I want you to give so that you can have that fruit on your account. You've maybe heard me say this over the years, but God is not broke. Do you know that? Hopefully you don't give out of a sense of obligation like, man, if I don't give, I don't know what God's going to do with his work. He's really dependent upon my tithe and offerings and my, my first fruits. That's our gratitude back to the Lord. It's being a cheerful, full giver, knowing that it's the best thing for our hearts to be freed up from that place of greed. In verse 18, indeed, I have all and abound. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. Epaphroditus is the messenger. He's the one who brings the gift. He got sick in this process, close even to death. We read that earlier in this epistle. 
I think that Paul enjoyed the companionship just as much as he was blessed by whatever the physical gift was. It seemed to mean a lot to Paul that Epaphroditus would come spend time with him while he was in prison. A lot of people rejected Paul because he was in prison. A lot of people at that time thought he wasn't walking with the Lord. It was a lack of faith that he resulted in, in the prison. I think a lot of times that's, that there's something behind the gift, right? There's something behind the gift that ministers to our hearts. It's the relationship that comes with it. And Paul says, it was a sweet-smelling aroma, acceptable, sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Brings into the imagery of the Old Testament, all these sacrifices that were offered to the Lord. That was a sweet smell to the Lord. So when we love on God's people, when we serve and give to God's people, it's a sweet aroma unto the Lord. In verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory, by Christ Jesus. God is a faithful provider. Psalms 37 verse 25 says, I've been young and now I'm old. Anybody else relate to what David's saying there? Yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging for bread. Paul's saying, as you are giving and as you're caring for my needs, God is going to be faithful to supply your needs according to his riches and glory. Please note there's a difference between God providing for our needs and our wants. We lose sight of that. Paul also wrote, if you've got food and clothes, be content. He defines, the Holy Spirit defines what our needs are, food and clothes. I wish you would include a roof over our head. It's just food and clothes. If you've got food and clothes, then be content with those things. God is faithful to provide for our needs. Now, to our God and Father, be glory forever. Amen. All of this giving, all of this receiving, this joy, this contentment, it's not just for our sake, but for God's glory. When people see believers living in biblical joy, God is glorified. We need to be careful that we don't touch God's glory, that we always give God the glory. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with me greet you. So he says, every believer there in Philippi, greet them for me. The brethren that are with me, Paul's not alone, they greet you as well. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. How did these guys get saved in Caesar's household? Because Paul was in prison. This is Paul's way of ending this letter, of saying, God is glorified in my circumstance I'm in prison. It's given me the opportunity to share the gospel. Now there's believers in Caesar's household. Imagine that you were hearing this read for the first time. You're the church of Philippi. And you're like, what? There's believers in Caesar's household? You know, it'd kind of like be us reading and the believers who are in Caesar's palace in Las Vegas greet you. You know, it's like, what? For real? You know? blown away that God saves and that God works. We need to remember this, that God is never limited by a dark place to bring salvation. Amen? Caesar's household was dark, but yet God brought sal salvation. God is great at shining his light into the darkest places. Love how this book ends. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Grace is the beginning point, it's the ending point, and it's every point in between. It says, may the grace of God, his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor be with you. And as you go tonight, I hope you go in the grace of the Lord. Two questions as we close. 
First is, what have I learned from this book? Was there a verse that stood out to you? Was it Philippians 1.6, being confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it? Was it chapter 1, verse 21? Chapter 2, go back and look, spend some time with it this evening and say, what have I really learned from, from this book? We've maybe been in this book for eight weeks through, through this summer. And monitor, is there any more joy in your life? And remember, it's not happiness. It's not based on circumstances. It's a person of who Jesus Christ and your relationship with him. But are we living in more joy? What have I learned from, from this book? And then, have I learned contentment? Have I learned contentment? Is this just the right word for you right now? Are you in a place where you find your soul in discontentment for one reason or another? To say, okay, Lord, I'm choosing to learn contentment. If you're abounding, okay, I don't need to abound anymore. I'm thankful. If you're abased, okay, Lord, I don't understand. You give and you take away, but I trust you. The greatest way to work this out is at the communion table, where we look at the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Our lifestyle can be without covetousness because Jesus, his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. Jesus said that he's the bread of life for eternity, but also presently. He wants to be that manna for our souls, to care for our souls, to find ourselves completely satisfied in the Lord. We can either try to conjure up contentment and talk ourselves into contentment, or we can dive into Jesus, taste and see that he is good, and the byproduct will be contentment. Does that make sense? It's like, if I'm hungry... I can talk about eating a good meal or I can just go eat a good meal. Sit back in a chair and go, ah, I'm satisfied. And we can talk about this topic of contentment or we can spend time with Jesus. Come and dine. Jesus invites us to spend that time with him. And as we spend that time with him and we worship him, I think we'll walk away content. We focus on Christ. We press into Christ. And the Lord produces that contentment inside of us. Let's stand and let's pray together and move into communion. Jesus, we just ask that you would really bless this time of communion. We thank you that you are the bread of life. You're a good shepherd. You're the light of the world. Your body was broken. Your blood was shed so that the need of our souls could be met in you. May the reality that you're with us, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, that you're enough, may we experience that tonight. We thank you for the study of the book of Philippians and would you bring fruit when you apply it into our lives. May we truly learn contentment. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.